please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So this is one of uh, a handful of visions that God gave to Zechariah at a time when things were really bad. Um, And the people were discouraged and disheartened and lacked hope. Uh, Zechariah was a prophet, so he was basically a pastor with a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to give God's message of hope um, and to show the people how God planned to remove their sin from them. So to give a little bit of historical context, um, the people had been taken away into exile in Babylon for their sin. They'd been there for 70 years. So like children were born, lived, grew up, died, and, you know, their kids uh, succeeded them, all while the whole people of God were in exile. Like, imagine being ousted from our church and sent away somewhere else and, like, having nothing with which we were familiar. Their sin had gotten that bad that God drove them out of the promised land and sent them to a faraway place because of their sin. They'd been in exile these 70 years, and then many of them were allowed to return home by God's hand of mercy. He brought them back. Now they were back in the land, but they were in trouble. They had started to build the temple, first thing. They had laid its foundation, and then work stopped. It had probably been years since the work on the temple had started, when Zechariah was given this vision of hope. Uh, You see, they came up with all kinds of roadblocks and persecution from the people around them. Um, And people were living compromised lives. Uh, They were discouraged, and many of them would have felt like God is far away and wondered what God was doing. After this awful exile, which most of them there weren't old enough to even remember being back in the land, All they knew was the disfavor of the Lord, except that God had brought them back, and he brought them back to this. There's nothing but a foundation. There's no way for them to welcome God's presence. There's no house for him to come dwell in. God, it's like he isn't in their midst anymore, and nobody's building the temple. And then God gives Zechariah this vision. Let's read it again. And we'll go through real slowly and kind of look at the different characters in play. So 
Zechariah has a vision and he's being shown several characters who are um, in what you could think of as an eternal reality. So then he showed me Joshua the high priest. So he's a high priest, right? What does a high priest do? A high priest goes to God and represents the people and uh, makes atonement for their sin and kind of welcomes God and covers their sin for them. That's, that's what he's supposed to do um, so that the people can be worthy of having God in their midst, in a manner of speaking. So then he showed me Joshua the high priest. He's standing here before the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord is here, and Joshua the high priest is here, and they're facing each other, right? Can you see the diagram? Um, What does angel mean? It's messenger. So we're just going to say messenger here. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the messenger of the Lord. So this is a messenger of God sent to Joshua the high priest who represents all the people, who represents all the people who had returned to Jerusalem, the whole city and people of God. And then there's Satan over here. I guess if you're looking at it backwards, he'd be over here at at the high priest's right hand. And Satan himself, this once mighty archangel, is standing at his right hand accusing him. Like, this high priest is in trouble. And since he represents the people, like, the people are in trouble. They're being accused by Satan before God in this uh, courtroom setting, as it were. But what does the Lord say through his messenger? He says, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord rebuke you, the one who was rebuking the high priest who represented the people. God said, I rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So we said the high priest represents the whole people and the whole city of God. So you could think of the high priest and the people of God and Jerusalem almost as synonymous. it's, It's one city or people of God, right? The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? I like to have uh, fires in my fire pit in the backyard. And sometimes uh, my son comes out and his favorite thing to do is poke sticks in and then pull them back out, like right before they catch on fire and watch them smoke. So, So God just said through his messenger about the high priest to Satan, isn't this like the high priest and Jerusalem, isn't, aren't they a stick that I pulled out of the fire? They were about to be burned up in judgment, and God pulled them out at the last second. He's saying there's no judgment left for them because I've saved them from my own judgment. There's no accusation left. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, something's really wrong here. Like, he didn't just trip and get a little bit of mud splattering, splattered on his leg on his way to work. He doesn't have, like, a scuffed elbow and a torn knee. His clothes are filthy. Think about what that means. Like, his clothes, like, he's covered in filth. And it's a head-to-toe thing. Like, you know, when we think of filth, we might think of, 
urine or stool or, or mud or like old nasty food. Like this kind of stuff is what he's wearing. This is not proper for a high priest. Imagine uh, a president coming to town not wearing a really nice suit that was perfectly ironed and like with his tie perfectly arranged. We'd all be like, what's wrong? This is the high priest who represents all the people and he is covered in filth. What does that say about the rest of the people? Things look really bad for the people of God. And sometimes I feel like we can relate to their situation. We said this is sort of an eternal reality that's always going on. Their sin was so bad that even their best representative showed what they were really like, covered in filth. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And then Zechariah pipes up and he's like, let them put a clean turban on his head. Because a high priest had to wear a turban and a robe. It had to be the right kind of robe. It had to be clean. And if he didn't come to God according to the pattern set for him, then he couldn't enter the temple. There wasn't even a temple. There's like, there's like this, you know, they poured the concrete, so to speak. Uh, and the high priest, he's filthy. He can't come before God. There's no way for them to welcome God into their presence again because everything's wrong. They are a people who, because of their own sin, are unprepared. They were cast out of the land because of their sin. Now they're back, but it's almost like God's not back, and they aren't worthy to have him back. What can be done? The key is this messenger that God sends. He said, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, pure clothing. Zechariah pipes up, says, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, is standing there doing all this. And Joshua, the high priest, is, is helpless. He's just standing there. He can't do anything. What, what does this remind us of? What about another time in the scriptures when somebody needed to be properly clothed because they were full of unworthiness, guilt, and shame? It reminds us... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And even before that, go back all the way to the beginning. Our very first parents were in the naked... <laughs> in the naked. They were. <laughs> they were in the buff. After their sin of rebellion against God, their first action isn't like to cry out for mercy or something. Their go-to sin next is to hide. And they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord as he comes to walk in the garden. And, and how do they try to cover up their shame and their nakedness? They get a bunch of leaves, and they sew them together, and they make loincloths. Okay, none of us would be anything but humiliated walking around in a loincloth, Right? Like, that's not a very good covering. And besides, it's leaves. Like, they did a terrible job, right? And so their first encounter with death is not their own death. Remember, we remember God had told them, in the day you eat of the tree, 
you shall surely die. But mercifully, God postponed the death that was due them because sin is intimately tied with shame and with death. And that shame and uncleanness is symbolized in nakedness or in filthy clothes, right? So God did something unthinkable. He took an animal, probably a lamb, and he killed it. Now, most of us grew up kind of like in a city, or if we ever eat meat, we, we get it in a little package that says, you know, meat, you know, cooked to internal temperature, such and such. And some of us even like wear gloves when we cook meat, you know. Um, and we, or we wash our hands real carefully after handling it. And that's our closest encounter with dead meat. Uh, Adam and Eve had never seen it, felt it, thought about it. If you didn't grow up on a farm or grow up hunting, um, you're probably a little bit grossed out with the idea of, of killing an animal. I remember the first time um, I killed a, an animal, it was, it was really gross and kind of disturbing. And I had to, it was, it was a very uncomfortable experience when I field dressed it and prepared it to go to the butcher. I didn't even butcher it myself. I didn't skin it. So, um, but I was able to do it and I thought, well, you know, this is a normal thing. And I told myself, this is okay. In the beginning, this was not okay. From the beginning, there was no death. And God took this animal and he killed it near Adam and Eve and he skinned it. He cut off this animal's skin. Its blood drained out on the ground. And he took its skin and put that on them. Imagine how horrified they were. Imagine how disturbed they would have been. Like they probably vomited. They would have been crying. I'm sure Adam, you know, is like the prototypical man was a tough guy and stuff, but, um, but he would have probably been weeping. Not even just for his own sin, but even just for this animal. Like, that's disgusting. He was supposed to be caring for this animal, and it was killed for his sin. So God postponed the death due them. We try in vain to cover up our sin, don't we? We don't do a good job. We have nothing but leaves and, and filthiness. The, going back to Zechariah, the people were in a bad state at the time of his prophesying, and they desperately needed covering. They didn't just need covering. They needed true cleansing. They needed the temple to be built so God could come, so he'd have a, a place to come, so to speak. And uh, they needed somebody to do that for them because their high priest wasn't even able to fulfill the roles of a high priest because he wasn't dressed right. So this was, this was back in the days when God lived in a house built by hands and when he showed his glory among the people in a house. But God doesn't really live in a house. Um, this is before God came and tabernacled or became a temple uh, of God among us and actually lived in our midst in the flesh. And this is before the Holy Spirit was poured out and we became the house of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. All that stuff is in the future and they don't even have a temple. So if this high priest guy isn't able to do his job and bring God near and bring the people near God. And this messenger God sent 
is the one who took off his filth, clothed him with clean clothes and a, and a clean turban, and made him ready to do his job. Who's the real high priest here? Who's the one who really brought the people near God? It's this messenger from God. And who is it? It can't be anyone other than Jesus himself. This is Jesus appearing in a vision to Zechariah hundreds of years ahead of time, before the incarnation, his templing, his tabernacling among us. He's showing them, I will clothe you in pure vestments. He doesn't use the word tidy or neat or pressed or ironed or clean. He says pure. There's something holy about the clothes that he is giving them. It says in Hebrews, he is our great high priest. When we see Jesus appear in the first chapter of Revelation, he's dressed as a priest. He's wearing a priest's robe and sash, right? So looking ahead to Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is dressed in better clothes and his sin is pretty well covered up. No. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That means dead and gone and not here anymore and somewhere else and very much definitely not here. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ doesn't just give us new clothes. He makes us clean inside out. So how did God do this? How, do, how does God manage to, to get the, the filth off us and the purity on us and even in us? Going down in 2 Corinthians, it says, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that's the messenger from God, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, as represented by this high priest, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. If you think God's made you righteous, but you're filthy inside, that's not a biblical idea. You are a saint who sins. You are truly holy and clean internally, and externally. Before, before we stood before Christ, and before we helplessly standing before him, had him change us from old man to new man, and made us a new creation, we couldn't help but sin. We now have the capacity to sin, but we are holy inside, holy outside, and we're clothed not with all our own good deeds, we're clothed with righteousness. The Zechariah passage doesn't specify where the righteous, vest, the pure vestments come from, uh, but 2 Corinthians did. And it doesn't say where the filthy clothes went. But don't we know that he took our sin on him? When he took the filthy garments off Zechariah, or off the high priest, he put them on. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin. And he clothed us 
not with the skin of an animal, not with leaves, not with filthy garments. He clothed us with his supernatural, miraculous, awesome, complete, totalizing righteousness. And it covered us, and it covers us still. We said this is an eternal reality in this passage. We said Satan, in a sense, is always standing right beside us to accuse us. But what does God say? He doesn't say, well, no, I took care of that sin, I took care of that sin. Oh, I didn't remember that one. Like, oh, that one just happened last night right before church? Well, you're going to have to, like, pray and, you know, do something good so that you can feel better about yourself until you feel good enough to come into my presence? No. He said, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord who has chosen his people. The Lord chose us, and he stands in front of us face to face. And when we're helpless, which we always are, this is an eternal reality, he says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I have chosen him. I have chosen her. I have chosen these, my people. They are holy. I have made them holy myself. They were like a stick in the fire, and I pulled them out before they were burned with my wrath. And my righteous wrath was satisfied on my crucified son who took my wrath. And you were set free and clothed in his own holiness. Though we are pure, yet we still sin. And this seems to be a dilemma for us because, like we said, uh, sometimes we accuse ourselves, right? And, uh, but God is greater than our hearts. And when our hearts condemn us, we know that he who is holy, who has not just clothed us in clean clothes, but made us holy inside out, top to bottom, and not even just that, but has joined himself to us, he has in fact married himself to us. He's made us one body with him. We're not his minions or his army or his slaves or servants over there, and he's not separated from us far above the earth. He has come down. More than that, he poured out his spirit on all of us that we might all live with God. And so he lives among his people. And more than that, he's married himself to us. Look at how this story ends. In Revelation chapter 19, the apostle says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Do you remember the animal that was killed in the garden? Probably a lamb. Well, now the real lamb is here and he is Jesus. And the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. Who is the bride of Christ? We, the people of God, are a bride to Christ. And to her, that's us, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Some translations say the righteous acts of the saints, but most manuscripts uh, say the righteousness of the saints 
It's probably a better understanding because we know where our righteousness came from. We know where our pure vestments came from. It says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. When you feel filthy, O Christian, remember, you are clothed in splendor. He has washed you, he has cleansed you, he has sanctified you. He remembers your sins no more. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Confess and renounce your sins. He is faithful and just. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the clear teaching of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And there's nothing in between that interrupts the clear teaching that the Lord has covered us when we could not cover ourselves and has totally united himself to us. And because he is greater than us, we have become new and different. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Though we still have the ability to sin, we're different. We're holy now. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, there's nobody like you. We stand before you helpless every day. We could never cover up our shame even a little bit. Even, even if we tried to cover ourselves partly with leaves, it would be useless and all our efforts are nothing and amount to just a bunch of filthy rags. In fact, all of our righteousness is like filthy garments. When you brought us before you and cleansed us, you made us your bride and your true people and you initiated this coming to us. We have nobody like you nor any hope but you. In your name, we renounce clinging to the idea of looking good in front of other people or trying to pretend before you that we could be worthy of you. We know it's folly. Please refresh our hearts and cleanse us from a guilty conscience and give us full assurance of faith, knowing that our cleanliness, our holiness, our sanctity depends not on any good things we have done, but it depends on your Son, whom you have sent to give us this message that you have reconciled us all to yourself. Lord, you're awesome. There's nobody like you. Nobody else can do what you do. We do not look to a man. We look to you, the true and living God. And we eagerly look forward to being seated at the table, not as the guest of honor, but as the bride herself, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when you finish building and bringing your kingdom. And now, Lord, we look to you in hope, not in despair. 
Thank you for not counting our trespasses against us.